Okay, we are in Mark, continuing in Mark chapter 1, and uh, again, Mark is moving quickly, uh, not covering all the great details, but he's got a purpose, he's got a mission, he's writing very intentional. And what we've seen, uh, the beginning of the book of Mark, it says the beginning of the gospel out Jesus Christ, and remember the concept of gospel is it's, it's the announcement of the king, someone great, some, some historical moment is taking place. And it's, everything's going to change from that point on. It's the good news. You used to struggle. Now the good news is here. The new emperor is going to change everything. And you'll never, never look back because things have changed. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, we see him going down into the, to be baptized. The Spirit leads him out into the wilderness. And that is where we're at in chapter, chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. And again, get that, that's a, really a no place. Galilee is a place of, of nor- in northern Israel. It's uh, very, uh, you'd say, nationalistic. They're Jew- it's Jewish territory, but they're very, very faithful. Some of the Jewish wars broke out there. It is also overrun with Gentiles because Syria and uh, Phoenicia or that area to the north has has come down with the Assyrian invasion and and the dispersions and different things the Seleucids the Greeks had come down so there's a lot of Gentiles there and Roman occupation so there's a lot of Gentiles in Galilee but yet it's very nationalistic Jewish so he grew up in that area right looking right down in I was going to even get you some pictures of where I talked about him looking down you could look down from Capernaum into uh, or from Nazareth look down into uh, uh, the, the Megiddo Valley. But nonetheless, uh, and it was a center of trade, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and several things there. That's the way the book begins, but it's also going to end with something being torn. Uh, and then a voice from heaven saying, you are, my, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Uh, that's what we talked last week. That's three basic Old Testament references uh, from Isaiah to Genesis, uh, even going to Zechariah of this is the one, uh, I- including Psalms. At once the Spirit sent him, or drove him, out into the desert, and he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and angels attended him. So a lot of things are happening there. Uh, the Spirit is there. The Spirit drives him out. He confronts Satan, ministered to by angels, and he's in there in that time of testing for 40 days and he appears to and we know obviously he does pass the test we don't have all the details that luke and mark or matthew give us of you know the three temptations uh but it gives the impression that the entire period was a time of testing and he returns uh from the wilderness and chapter uh, one verse 14 is kind of where we we're beginning tonight and this first verse, there's a lot of things missing. We said that last week. Not missing, it's just Mark is not interested in those details. Because in John, it talks about when he comes, Jesus comes out of the wilderness, when John the Baptist sees him again, he identifies him as the Lamb who will take away the sins of the world. Some of the disciples, John, uh, is introduced when they begin to follow Jesus. And Jesus leaves there and goes up to Cana in Galilee for the wedding. All that's detailed. This doesn't cover any of those things. It just goes in verse 14. It's like a time stamp. Verse 14 is a time stamp. And you can hear the time stamp. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. So 
it was at the time, and that's what Ma, that's all that Mark's. Well, well, why was John put? Or why is Mark put in? Or excuse me. Why was John the Baptist put in prison? That's going to come up later in the book. We're going to talk about that. But right here, it's just at that time when John was put in prison by Herod, Jesus went into Galilee and began his ministry. So that's just kind of like a time stamp of when it begins, and uh, and went into Galilee. And here it says, proclaiming the good news, or again, the gospel of God. Uh, the time has come, he says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So that is the beginning right there of our information tonight. He goes to Galilee, and he begins proclaiming the good news, or the gospel of the kingdom and this gospel of the kingdom, it, it says it's now, it is here, it's beginning. And there's four ways of looking at this, what does he mean? And I've got this written down here. Uh, well, let's look on, on page one of the notes. I've got several things to show you tonight, including some pictures. Uh, on page one, it says, now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Um, if you look at the, 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 uh, the genealogy of Herod the Great that's listed there, What's going to happen is Herod Antipas, which is going to be, find Herod the Great, and he's got you know, these wives, Cleopatra, Melthris, Miriam, which was his uh, a, a wife, and then Miriam I, which was his favorite wife, and then Doris, those are the five wives of Herod. And then it's got listed the, the sons, Antipater, uh, Miriam I had Alexander and Aristobulus. That is, he married into the Hasmonean, Hasmonean line, or the Maccabean line, right there. He married one of the princesses of the Maccabees, or the Hasmoneans. And then Mariam II uh, is going to have the son Herod Philip. And then Melthrace uh, is going to have two sons, Archelaus and Herod Antipas. Now, Archelaus is the one that was, became king immediately after him, and he was so bad, so wicked, that Rome removed him. He's the one that Joseph went down into, or when, he, when Joseph goes down into Egypt, but when he comes back, Archelaus was ruling. He doesn't go to Bethlehem. He goes past there, goes up into one of the other Herod's territories because Archelaus was so bad. And he was removed then from power. And then Antipas is the one we're talking about because Antipas is going to marry Philip's, that's the next one, Cleopatra. That's not Cleopatra of Egypt. It's just another name, Cleopatra. Philip, the son that Cleopatra gave him, is going to marry his wife, Herodotus, and that's going to lead to the execution of course because uh, John the Baptist is upset that the leader of the, of the Jews is, is in, having an affair in adultery with his brother's wife, and John's going to make a big public deal about it, and he's going to lead to his arrest and then later his execution. But that's what's taking place right there. Uh, turn the page, and that's, again, n all that is not mentioned by Mark other than the fact that when John was arrested, Jesus goes up to Galilee. On the next page, uh, it says, and saying, chapter 1, verse 15, and saying, this is what Jesus' message was, the time is fulfilled. Now, just watch this. The time is fulfilled. Meaning, We've been waiting for this. We've been talking about it, maybe from the Garden of Eden. We've been talking about it throughout Abraham's life. We've been talking about it throughout the kings, the prophets. When Israel went into dispersion, they were promised the time's going to come. Well, God is going to bring you back, that he's going to establish his kingdom. Uh, and so when it says fulfilled, that gives the impression it's now. Uh, and the kingdom of God is at hand. 
and the, the kingdom of God is at hand. I mean, this is, this is going to cause, uh, you're going to have to embrace this. You're going to have to deal with this because Jesus' first message is uh, the kingdom of God is fulfilled. It's time. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It, it's now. We're not going to go any further. It's happening today, which is exactly what the gospel is. It's like today is the announcement of a new age. There was the time before the king was here, and now from here on it's going to be dated the time the king came, and your life will be different from this point on. But of course, when we look at this, when we think about end times eschatology, the coming of the kingdom, uh, that was 2,000 years ago. Jesus came, made the big announcement, died on the cross, and went to heaven and says, I'll be back. But yet, so what? what now the critics would say, well, uh, he kind of overshot. Uh, he was thinking things were going to happen. He really didn't understand the full picture. He thought it was going to come now. The disciples thought it was going to come now. Even the apostles were thinking Jesus was even going to come back soon. So that there must be a mistake here, uh, but there's not. There's not, because as we go through this, uh, uh, I, I read these points. Number one, Jesus announced, announces the time has come, the time is now, the hour has come. So wherever Jesus is at, there in Galilee as he's preaching, he's saying, today is the day. You've been waiting for this. It begins now. And it has begun because he was baptized by the Spirit. He was, the Spirit came on the Messiah. God spoke from heaven, this is my son, the one I love. With him I'm well pleased. Jesus went out, was tested by Satan. He came back in, the hour is at hand. And indeed, you can't make light of this, the hour has come. And now it's 2,000 years ago, but what happened here, what began to happen, what has been continually building, it, it is happening there. And so when he says, the time has come, the time is now, the hour has come, it is time for God's reign on earth to begin. Number two, God's kingdom, the Lord's reign, is about to begin. It was at hand. Since the time was now, point three, or it was time, uh, it was time to repent and return to the Lord. He, when he says the time is at hand, his first message is because, because of where we're at in time. This is happening now. And because it's happening, it is time for you to repent and it is time to you to believe the gospel of the kingdom. So repent, because this is happening. I'm he's, he's going to his, his people, his, his audience. He's saying, it's happening now. It's fulfilled. It's at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Your response is to repent. That uh, means change the way you're thinking, which would also lead to change the way you're living. Stop living for today and start focusing on this kingdom and you'll indicate you'll believe the gospel of the kingdom believe this accept this trust this because if you will believe it you're going to begin to see it and understand what's taking place if you reject this and jesus is going to it's going to happen when jesus starts teaching parables those who have will be given more if you will believe this you're going to see this happen if you're going to be skeptical and say no 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 it's going to happen right in front of your eyes and you're not going to perceive it. You will not be able to perceive it. This is not a matter of brainwashing. This is not a matter of, you know, convincing yourself it's true, although it's not, or be, even though it's not. This is a matter of looking for Jesus. It's here. Believe, and you will begin to see these things take place. If you reject it, it's going to happen, and you will not have the ability to perceive it. Just like today, 
when, when the, you can see the prophets talked about this. When the Bible is read, when the Word of God is read, if you have understood it, if you've looked into it, if you've accepted it, it will begin to speak to you. The Spirit is in you. The Word is speaking to you. If you've rejected it and you, you refuse to understand the basics, it will never make sense to you. It, even, it says, even Isaiah says, the Word is going to become to you to be nonsense it, it's like you give it to someone to read this i can't read it and if i could read it no one understands what it says it's it's a mystery even the bible refers to itself as a mystery or a mystery that is being revealed and jesus ministry is just that he says very clearly it's fulfilled the kingdom is at hand you need to repent from rejecting it or living in the ways of the world and believe the gospel and when you believe it, things are going to start to happen. And so that's what he's saying right here. I'll read it again, chapter 1, verse 15, and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, believe in the gospel. Believe this is happening. Um, and I write down point three, that from this day on, history would be marked by this event. Time would be known as before the king and the kingdom came, and the time after the king and the kingdom came. Now that's coming right out of the Roman decrees. When an emperor came, it was the good news. It was the gospel. The emperor came, and from this day forward, everything would be the days before I was here and the days after I arrived, because I'm going to make an imprint in history. And they're using it the same way. Jesus saying, I'm going to make an imprint in history. I am the one here. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's the gospel of the kingdom. It's the gospel of God. Um, point four, believe and begin to see and understand. And point five, how had it come? Now, there's four answers to this, and they all are, they all, you don't have to pick and choose. They are all true. How can Jesus say it was fulfilled when we could stand and say it wasn't fulfilled, we're still waiting for it? Or that the kingdom was at hand, it was close, but it never really made it here. It, 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 was, it, was, it was stopped, something prevented it. That's not the case. Number one, the king had arrived. Because Jesus is the king of the kingdom, and he's there in bodily form, he's there anointed by the Spirit, you can't get any closer to the kingdom than be with the king. The king is here, the king has come, it's at hand. Repent and believe that this is happening. So one, the king's there. You could stop right there. Or number two, the kingdom message and the power had come to those who believed and it would continue to grow from there. Jesus' parables are always going to involve, or not always, but many times they involve the idea of hearing the message, the seed. Uh, it's like yeast. Uh, you get a little, it will start to grow. The kingdom is growing. It's going to start as the smallest seed and become the largest plant. He's like a, a, a farmer sowing seed. It begins to grow. And so if, if, if he has the message and he preaches it to someone, they've received the seed, the kingdom is going to start to grow. They're going to start to understand. And it's not like we want to have that, that lightning bolt. You know, here it is. There it is. The kingdom, it wasn't here. And now, boom, there it is. Everything changed. The lights are brighter. The colors are more beautiful. This, Jesus is going to continue to talk, even the apostles do, it's growing. It's like a seed and it's growing. And so there's this time period in history where you didn't have this opportunity. You're waiting for the seed to come. You're waiting for the Messiah. But now that the Messiah has come, the king is here, he's going to plant the seed. And then we're going to have this time of growth. And we are in that period of growth right now. 
uh, where Christianity is growing in lives individually. It's growing throughout history. Uh, even though you see history fighting back and the cycles continuing, Christianity is making progress and the kingdom is being built. As each generation proceeds, the kingdom of God is getting larger and people are going, in the sense, into the kingdom or into heaven. So it, is, so it began, it is at hand, it's being fulfilled, and the plan was we'd plant the seed and it would start to grow. And we are, part, we are the evidence that this is happening. So that's point two. Number three, Jesus came in power and authority which stopped Satan and the forces of evil wherever Jesus and the gospel went. And that's the theme of the opening of Mark right here is the authority. Now, I've got that on the top of the first page. I mentioned at the end of last week and I'll go over it again. But Jesus is going to come and he's going to demonstrate in Galilee uh, five areas of his authority. He's got the authority to take disciples. He's got the authority to preach the gospel. He's got the authority to cast out demons. He's got authority to, to heal the sick. He's got the authority to control nature. Jesus has the authority. And so wherever this is at, wherever Jesus goes, Satan is stopped. He confronted, Satan confronted him in the wilderness and Jesus said, no, 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 and walked away full of the spirit and went into Galilee and started demonstrating his power. So the kingdom has come. Satan was ruling and reigning but Jesus says in, 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 the, in the Gospels later towards the end of his ministry, the God of this age has been judged. He has been found, he's been judged, and his time is up. And Satan is going to lose power. The rulers and authorities, as the Apostle Paul writes, were made a spectacle of them by Jesus dying on the cross. He proved his authority over sin. And now, yes, there is that phase where they're still operating, but they are under the dominion of, of Jesus, and their kingdom is falling. The light is getting brighter, and it's already starting to collapse on them. So, one, the king is here. Two, wherever the message goes, that it's going to be received and begin to grow. Wherever Jesus and the gospel go, there is authority. And number four, this was the beginning of the last days. We know that from Peter speaking in Acts. When he, when he quotes Joel, and on the day of Pentecost in 30 A.D., Joel is talking about eschatologically the final days. Peter says, these are those days. Peter says in 30 A.D., within 36 months of this event, we are in the end times. Because it ha the king, has, he's been anointed by the Spirit, he's been baptized, he's gone out, been tempted by Satan, he's come back, and with authority, it has begun. The end times have begun. These are those days. And Jesus went away saying, I'm going to let this, he didn't say it quite like this, but he gives them the authority. He gives them the spirit, says, go to all the nations, take my authority. I'll be with you till the end and goes away. And they're on a mission. We're on that mission to spread the gospel, to cover time and the world with the gospel. And Jesus is waiting to come back for the harvest he's planted the seed and so we're waiting point four this was the beginning of the last days the eschatological age has begun now this is confusing for us because we talk about you know is this the end times and again that makes sense we're correct to talk that way in in, in our vocabulary though our understanding you know like the red heifers there's five red heifers have gone uh, over to Israel, uh, the Temple Institute, which we've talked about, and, and we've been, I've been in there and seen some of the things they've done, uh, and so I mean it's it's legitimate. I mean it's not just a uh, you know 
a, a strange group. I mean, they're actually getting ready to build the third temple. They're getting ready for, now again, that's in the Jewish understanding of what they're doing. They think they're getting ready for the third temple. As a Christian, I think they're getting ready for the temple that they're going to after they sign the peace treaty with the Antichrist. It's like, this is not as good as you think it is, uh, but it is an eschatological event. Well, they've got the five heifers. They've, they're over there now, and everybody's, ta- everybody's above. What does this mean? What does this mean? Well, it, it, it means we're still waiting for the end to come. So we would consider the five heifers or the, the signing of the peace treaty with the Antichrist when that happens. Ah, that's the sign of the end times. And indeed it is that we're now we're getting closer to the end of this time period. But these things have all began. The, those are just the sequence of things that will follow after the Messiah has come. The Messiah came. No one understands it yet in the book of Mark, but he's going to have to suffer and die then he's going to go to heaven and the church is going to grow. They're going to proclaim the gospel to all the nations. And then at the right time, the, that period of seven years is going to begin and Jesus will return at the end of it. So eschatologically, this is the beginning of end times. We're waiting for the final phases of end times. So if that makes sense, when I read this again, for me, if you have the casual reading of this, it kind of causes you trouble. It's like, oh, but it says it was fulfilled, and it wasn't, and we're still waiting. Okay, so I'll read it again, chapter 1, verse 15, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Uh, And it's like, well, yeah, but it wasn't. It must have been a mistake. They must have been overshooting. Well, not really. The king is there. The message is there. People are receiving it. Satan's authority is being broken, and the growth has begun, and we're waiting for the finalization. Today, we're waiting for the finalization of what jesus began so there is that time period within there so uh that's kind of an exciting verse when you look at it because when you again when you first read it it causes you to stumble but when you understand it you realize the the momentum and the the deliberate action of the lord that he began two thousand years ago with jesus being baptized the spirit coming on him being tempted by satan beginning his ministry with authority and then rejecting any concept of he's the messiah he's going to overthrow the, that's not the end times he's talking about he's not going to overthrow the romans he's not going to fight the jewish leaders he's going to go to the cross and deal with sin he's going to deliver man from sin give him life and with that message when you understand it he's going to go away and you're going to proclaim that to the whole world and when that's been proclaimed i am going to return he says and then i will establish my rule over all those nations so we are exactly in the middle of that when you understand that it kind of it's like it gives you a perspective it, it for me it gets you excited you realize this is not like a guessing game we know exactly where we're at it began we're doing it he's waiting and he's going to finish it and uh, to read it any other way would just cause you to be confused. Now, that's verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So he's going around Galilee preaching. We do not know all the places he's going. Mark's purpose here is to say he's got authority and he is the king is proclaiming the beginning of his rule. He's proclaiming it. Now, as the king, he's going to begin ruling. The first thing I need to do is take care of the sin issue. I've got to first, as the king, I've got to defeat the enemy. Well, you mean Rome? No. Sin. So, I mean, it all makes sense, but no one's understanding it. And that's going to explain, and we'll say it several times again, why he keeps anybody that wants to talk about him being the Messiah, 
he puts a stop to it. Not because he's not the Messiah, but it's kind of like Messiah has been identified by the political leaders like Joe Biden identified Mega. It's like, wait, 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 Mega means make America great again. Biden says, that means they're domestic terrorists. I mean, you're redefining, it's like, so, okay, so all of a sudden, people that say, make America great again are saying, whoa, 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 no, don't use the word mega because it's been redefined. That's not, we still want to make America great, uh, but we're not in that camp that you're defining. Well, Jesus is the Messiah, but the religious leaders have identified when the Messiah comes, he's going to make war against Rome. He is going to be a terrorist against the Roman Empire. So when Jesus comes in, the Messiah is here. Oh, you're going to terrorize Rome? Oh, no, no, no. Let's stop, let's stop using the term mega. Let's stop using the term Messiah. That's what he's doing. Now, he is the Messiah, but he's not going to defeat Rome. He's going to defeat sin first, and he's going to have to do his work and explain it so that the disciples will understand, and it's going to take them a long time to break the definition society has given them on what the Messiah is going to do at this time. And so that's what's taking place as we go through here. So he's proclaiming this. And again, even though he's got his eye on the target, there everybody that hears this is thinking in the sense of a rebellion against Rome. I mean, they're, they're not thinking, when they hear it, it's fulfilled, the time is at hand, the kingdom of God, believe and repent, repent and believe, oh, we've got to get our swords ready. No, you don't, but that's what they're hearing, and he's fighting that. He's got to somehow present his, in a sense, his message, his political message, if it's not, not necessarily political, but he's got to present it as in a political climate without miscommunicating what they think they're hearing. Chapter 1, verse 16. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. Now we're going to see the calling of the disciples, and this is again one of his demonstrations of authority. We know from the book of John that they've already met. We know from the book of John that they've already traveled together up to Cana. They've already been at a wedding feast together. They've already met Jesus' family members. They were already there when Jesus turned the water to wine. They've, he's already demonstrated his glory to them. So this is not just, you know, him picking up some strangers. They've heard him preach uh, in a variety. They've asked him questions. They've traveled with him. They, you know, when they travel, they would camp. You know, so they've sat around the campfire. We, we can, don't want to start making things up, but They've spent evenings talking, we would assume. They've shared meals together. They've talked along the road. Mark is not ignoring that, but what he's pointing out is Jesus, as the authority, is going to start calling people, you come follow me. He's calling, he's going, using his authority to begin gathering his disciples. Uh, on uh, a map, very quickly, here is Galilee, something like this. That's yeah, pretty close. Uh, Bethsaida, that is the home of Peter and Andrew over here. This is north, south. Capernaum is right here, right there on the coast. They're both on the coast right here uh, of Galilee. Uh, this is where Peter and Andrew were from. James and John, I'll just say J and J, James and John were from Capernaum, and their father Zebedee had a fishing business. Peter and Andrew had relocated to Capernaum. Capernaum was a major city as far as a trade route coming out of the north. 
Uh, there's tax collectors there. There's business. It was an industrial park. Uh, basalt stones, a, a volcanic rock, uh, uh, black basalt stones. They would make uh, millstones out of it. When I get the Jerusalem book, I've got a, a little section in there about pictures of basalt stones and millstones that they've, they've got uh, olive presses. They would make these here. There's like an industrial park that they would make these basalt mills and grinders. Some of them would be hand grinders. Some of them would be used by people moving an industrial or maybe even a, a, an animal, moving the stone around, crushing the grain or crushing the olives, depending on what they're using. They have found those basalt stone grinders even on a, a Masada out in the wilderness that they, they shipped it, carried it up there. It was they, they were just like you find Maytag washers and dryers all across the, ma- the nation. You found basalt stone grinders all across the nation of Israel. So that's part of what's going on there. Uh, fishing business, what I'm saying is Capernaum was a, was a hub of roads coming in, roads going out. It was kind of like a collection point. So there's a big, strong Roman base there, and there's a synagogue. It, somewhere along this line, I think they're probably in this area, on this coastline right here by Capernaum. Jesus comes up and he says to Peter and, and, and James, or Peter and Andrew, uh, they saw him cast their nets for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I, will, and I will make you become fishers of men. And again, we mentioned this last week throughout the Bible or several places in the Bible, fishing for men has been an activity that you've been seen by the the assyrians or the babylonians it's always been in the evil sense of them catching men like they're nothing but fish they're just they're beasts they're animals just to be captured and used jesus is now using it flipping it around we're going to do the same thing that the babylonians and the assyrians and the powers of the empire are the kingdoms of the empire uh, the empires of the world have done we're going to do the same thing but we're going to bring them in to the kingdom of god uh the idea of using fishers i just write this down the the fishers that's unique you know they're they're fishers and they're going to be their their occupation now is going to be compared to fishing for men instead of for fish throughout the the new testament in the both the gospels and the epistles there's farming and the farmer are used and it's not just fishermen the farmers also used as an illustration of ministry fishers are used as an illustration of ministry construction and builders are used as an illustration for ministry harvesting and the reaper are used as examples of the ministry sheep and the shepherd are used the steward and the household or the estate management are used the servant so all of these if it's a fisher uh, it's a farmer if it's a builder if it's a reaper if it's a shepherd if it's a steward over an estate if it's a servant all of those are like yes that's just like the ministry yes that's like the ministry you're a steward you're a servant you're a fisher you're a farmer you're a reaper you're all the those are parts of what we would say today you could say the church there's those are all things that are going on within the church jesus says follow me which means in the straight up meaning means walk with me come walk alongside me it's eventually going to take the meaning uh with the rabbis that it means you would then follow the rabbi the rabbi would be the leader and even as they walked the students would follow the rabbi if a rabbi had students many times they were selected most times they were selected they'd have to pass certain tests they'd have to go through certain you know training and if they qualified they could they'd be chosen to be a disciple they would maybe fill out something like you apply for a college and then you'd be evaluated and selected jesus just goes up to these fishermen and selects them peter 
and Andrew. And if I can do this, and again, I'm, I'm going to do this, and it's not an absolute guarantee, but there may be a difference. I said it before. There may be a difference in the social standing of Peter and Andrew and James and John. James and John may have been a little wealthier. They may have been uh, business owners along with their father. Peter and Andrew may have been trying to make a living. Uh, they may have been just laborers. Maybe they had worked for, again, Zebedee at some point, and now they've gone off and started their own fish. I, I made that up. I'm not saying that's, there's no indication. But it is an indication that these guys are more of a laborer. So these guys are going to be working for their father who's got a business and has servants working for them. And they're working the same coastline. So again, if they're two businesses, the startup business and uh, uh, the family business that's got you know the, all the paperwork in order, uh, they may be in competition between these two. So they, they're going to know each other, but they're maybe know each other as business competitors. And now once you see these Peter and John as competitors in the fishing business, uh, you can kind of pick a little bit of that up throughout the Gospels that, that that competition is going to continue. And we're not done, obviously, gathering disciples. We're going to get a tax collector. We're going to get a uh, zealot which was someone who was fully committed. That would be truly a mega member. Uh, you know, what we'd say, uh, you know, make Israel great again, sharpen your sword. That would be Simon the Zealot, that, him. And a tax collector, uh, he's working for Rome, collecting taxes. So here's your IRS member, just got hired as one of the IRS. He's going to start putting some pressure on, find out where these mega guys are at, and that's the zealot. And Jesus calls the tax collector, and he calls the zealot, and makes them with Peter and John, who are already in competition with the fishing industry. And it's like, now you got a tax lecture. It's like, you were going over my books. I was. And surely, um, Matthew or Levi was taxing Peter and John here in Capernaum because the fish that they're catching, it's like, oh my gosh, uh, this is going to be a great group of guys to work with. It's like they're from the whole, all over the political spectrum, all over. Uh, and then, then, of course, that's going to be trouble. Yeah, but you haven't even met this guy yet, Judas. He's the business mind. He's going to handle all the money. It's like, and he's, going to, he's the one that's going to control the money bag. It's like, and so we're just getting started here on this group of, uh, of guys. Nonetheless, it goes on. And Jesus said, them, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately, and this is, the idea, this is Mark writing now, he simply says, follow me. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. So they were working with their nets. They leave. And going on a little further, probably going a little bit further down the coastline, I mean, he's not like traveling all around the Sea of Galilee, just a little bit further down, we don't know exactly how far. Uh, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And John would be the young, maybe most likely the youngest of all the apostles, who were, were in their boat mending their nets. So they're done fishing for the night, possibly, and they're, they're making sure there's no holes in it, getting everything ready to go so that when they come back to fish the next evening or whenever they're going to fish, their nets are ready to go. They're doing some maintenance work. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, they weren't slaves. Uh, they were hired servants, which means he doesn't just own people, although there are people that own slaves. Uh, he had money that he was paying these guys. And again, that would give the impression that he could have hired Peter and Andrew. Again, that's me just throwing that out there. It's not the case. And they began to follow him. So now you've got the first four disciples, uh, the main ones being uh, 
Peter, James, and John, they're always going to be on the inner circle. And remember, this book of Mark is most likely, Peter, not most likely, church history tells us, this is Peter's account that Mark is recording. Uh, I'm going to read these next uh, verses right here. And now we're going to have a run of one day. It's a Sabbath. It's a Sabbath day. And I've got some things to show you here, I hope. hope it works. It's a Sabbath day in Capernaum. And Jesus is going to go to the synagogue. And what's going to take, there's going to be several verses here. This story is going to go on and on and on. But it's all taking place on the Sabbath, the Sabbath afternoon, and then the evening of the Sabbath, which is the ending. The Sabbath is going to end. The Sabbath ends when the sun goes down. The sun goes down, the Sabbath is over, and this is now the next day. Although it might be, you know, 6.30 in the evening. So that's when the Sabbath ends. When the sun goes down, Sabbath regulations are over. You can go to the store. You can go mow your yard. You can, well, in this story right here, you can come to Peter's house to get healed and be delivered from demons because you couldn't during the afternoon because it's the Sabbath. The whole time, Jesus is going to go from the synagogue to Peter's house. He's going to cast out a demon in the synagogue, and everyone's going to see it and go like, we would like some of that. But we don't dare because it's the Sabbath. Just go home, keep your mouth shut, don't cause a commotion. And then they go to Peter's house, and Peter's mother-in-law, who lives with him, uh, she's sick, and Jesus heals her, and she's going to get up and serve and now that serving that she gets up and serves them is not so much that's a woman's job as much as it is throughout this book. Jesus is a servant and he's serving. And when he serves you, you become a servant. And so she was sick. She gets healed. She instantly does what a, a disciple, a follower, someone has been affected by Jesus. You start to serve. It's more about being a servant that follows Christ then, well, it's a woman's job. That's not the point. Well, anyway, that happens during the afternoon. And then when the sun sets, the whole town shows up at Peter's front door. It's like, is he still here? Yes. And he spends the entire night healing and delivering people from demons. So you're going to go this. What starts on the Sabbath is going to go in through the afternoon, through the football game on TV, the whole deal, and then into the evening until... It's ready to go. The sun is starting to come up. So that's what's about to start to take place, and I'm going to show you a few things. I'll read it right here in the English Standard Version. Now, he's called Peter and Andrew, James and John, come follow me. And it says, and they went into Capernaum. Now, it's not hard to imagine uh, that they're out on the, just outside the city. Capernaum is on the coast of Galilee. So they're out on the coast, on the beach, on the shore and they just go into the town. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now, now you see how he used that word immediately. He keeps using that. It, it, it can mean right away or just like the next event. He just, he's moving through the story, skipping a lot of details. Although you're all of a sudden, we skip John and Herod and all the details that take place down when John's baptizing. But when we get to this day, there's a lot of information on this day. And most likely, it, it pivots around the fact that we're in Peter's hometown or where Peter lives. He's got a house. Right, it's almost like lakefront property almost. And it's Peter's mother-in-law that gets healed. 
And it's probably, of course, Peter telling a, a personal story. And they, okay. and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Right there, authority. He taught with authority and not as the scribes. And how the scribes would be would be a lot like uh, they're nothing original, stick to the script. They've got all these scribes, these, these rabbis that they'd learn from, and that they'd quote this rabbi and this rabbi, uh, and all this information. They just kind of gather together and make a presentation, which sounded a lot like last week's synagogue message, which you're just quoting this guy and this guy, and all you got the scriptures, but you don't really read the scriptures as much as you read the interpretations of the scriptures, and you just keep quoting guys that have studied the scriptures over the last two, three, four hundred years and all the details that were written down. Where Jesus comes in, uh, again, we don't have the substance of his message, but he didn't teach like the scribes. So if the scribes are quoting previous rabbis over the years and their interpretations of the scripture, Jesus doesn't teach like that. He just appears to go right to the text and start telling you what the text means. It's like, whoa, 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 are, who, you're not quoting anybody. You're just, you're just up there talking. He's teaching uh, as one who's got authority. It's like, you're acting like, uh, who said that? Well, I'm saying that. Well, where's your source? Me. I'm telling you, this is what I say it means. It's like, yeah, but the rabbi, you've got, we don't can't just trust you. We got to trust an authority who's already interpreted it correctly. And so that would give, like, if, if you were going to write a college paper, you couldn't just write what you thought. You're going to have to get your sources and your footnotes. And now there's a difference between plagiarism and giving your sources. Now you can just forget your sources and just plagiarize. No, that's not what Jesus was doing. Or if you're going to write and tell it what, have any kind of authority, You'd better have some foot Ike in my Jerusalem book. I have in the back, I got a bibliography where I got all this information. It's like, wow, Galen knows a lot about Jerusalem. Okay, here's all these places I've gathered this information from. Now, I don't have really clear footnotes like every statement is footnoted. It's, it's coming from here. I make it very clear. I didn't know this. I got it from these things. A true, like if you want to say a true academic book, every time you make a statement, you'd footnote what page it's on. And then I would never get done with the book because it'd just be, you know, constantly, I, I got this information and it's coming from here. So anyway, that's, you know, got plagiarism, you got footnotes. The scribes, the rabbis would teach with all these footnotes and all these quotes of all these other people, uh, uh, it would appear. And Jesus, it's like, yeah, I don't care what those guys said. I'll just tell you, you're just reading right from the text of Scripture, explaining the text of Scripture. Where's your authority? I'm teaching as if I've got authority. And that's what it means when it says, he was teaching as one who's got authority, with no other quotes, no other scribes, no footnotes. He's just teaching as if he understands it. Which means, again, there's another claim for authority. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes who just continued to have footnotes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. And again, in the synagogue, apparently very comfortable, never having been disturbed by all the other scribes who taught. But all of a sudden, he's upset. And he's gonna, he says, I know what's going on here. Everybody's impressed, but I know who you are. I know who you are. You're not one of them. He says, what do you do, what do you, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Again, interestingly, 
he calls him Jesus of Nazareth. He calls him as a man from Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? Referring to the spiritual beings that are in rebellion towards God. And he's using the plural. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. If you want a testimony, say, well, no one ever, no Bible ever makes it clear if Jesus is the Son of God, that he was just a mere man. This demon says, what are you doing with us? We know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth, you man from Nazareth. You are the Holy One of God. We know exactly, and we know why you're here. You're here. He bypasses the whole Roman thing. We're, we're not worried about Rome. You're here for us. You came to make war against the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. He didn't even worry about Rome. Everybody else is worrying about Rome. The demons, he realizes, yeah, you became a man, the Holy One of God, and you came for us. What are you doing here? Uh, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent. And that word be silent is harsh. It's the word shut up, if you want to say it. It's like, please be quiet. And we'd like you to be polite. It's like, shut up, clam it, shut it, uh, and come out of him. It's two commands. Shut it and come out. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they all questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? First of all, the guy's up there just teaching without all the footnotes. And then he's talking to a demon and just tells the demon, shut it, come out. And the demon does it. It's like, well, I don't think this guy needs footnotes. I think we better, those guys writing footnotes and quoting the quotes, you maybe want to listen to this guy because he teaches as one with authority. And look, he's controlling the demonic world. So now you're beginning to see, of course, and that's Mark's point, you're beginning to see the authority of Jesus as he introduces the kingdom. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? Again, a new teaching, meaning he introduced some ideas that didn't come out of the written sources of the rabbis. This is a new teaching. Can we put a footnote on that? Write that down and make, make your own set of books a new teaching with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And again, they had possibly seen exorcisms before by their ruler or their priests and things, but they'd include chants and candles and rituals. It wasn't just shut it, come out. There'd be like manipulate, you'd be manipulating almost like witchcraft trying to manipulate the demonic world. And he just like rode right into it, just took control of it. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee because of that event. Now, the next thing, and I'm going to take a break here. And, and immediately, verse, chapter 1, verse 29, now this, stay with me on this. And immediately, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John, which is interesting because this is the house of Peter and Andrew, with Peter's mother-in-law living with him, Peter's got a family and a wife who may have traveled with him. We see that in Paul's writings. And James and John go over. Now, again, if there is a separation of class between James and John, James and John are now following Jesus, and they're in Peter's house where his brother lives with his mother-in-law and his family, and they're in the house with him too. So, I mean, notice right there, left immediately. I'm going to show you this. I don't know how much you know. Do you know, how, you know anything about Capernaum? Have you ever studied Capernaum? Have I showed you pictures before? It's kind of cool. 
uh, because it's, it's well, I'll be able to show you. I mean, this, this is going to come to life in just a moment, I, t- I hope. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. Again, the idea there of he interfe- intervened in her life, and now she's serving. That's what everyone should do. That evening at sundown, see, it skips a whole part about football games, but it says that evening at sundown they brought, brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. At the door of what? At the door of Peter's house. And he healed many who were sick and ver- uh, with various diseases and cast out many demons. And they would not permit the demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. They knew who he was, and he didn't want their testimony interfering with him. Now, with that being said, I'm going to try something here with my technology. Are we ready, Tony? Tony's going to zoom in on the, the TV right here, and uh, uh, I'll see what happens here. Let's see what happens here. All right. These are pictures I've taken, all right? This is the synagogue in Capernaum, and you can see this is, it's, it's a limestone. See, it's white. See, it's important. Notice that it's white. See the pillars? That's standing. That was built... This is not the synagogue Jesus was in. It's the location of the synagogue. This was built in uh, 300 A.D. I've got a date right here. Uh, Yeah, 300 A.D. Inside the Capernaum synagogue that was built in the 300s, which is sitting on top of a basalt stone synagogue, which was there in 30 A.D. Now, this is archaeology. This is not... This is not mysticism. This is not some church holy site. This is archaeology. Of course, you you can always argue with it, but we're at the right location at the right time. This is not the synagogue Jesus preached in, but this is sitting on top of the synagogue that Jesus preached in. Then there's no doubt about it because it's a synagogue in uh, Capernaum. And so there it is right there. You can see the front of it, and there's pillars and stuff. Okay, I turn this like this. I, I zoomed in on it. Now I've lost everything. All right, here we go. Oh, my gosh. See, this is what I was worried about. Okay, there it is. Now, we're outside that synagogue. We're to the west side of the synagogue. Can you see this? There's those pillars that were on the inside. There's the limestone right here. You can see this. That's the 300 AD synagogue. And then down here, See the black basalt foundation stones right there? Or not, yeah, you'd say foundation. That is the synagogue foundation of Jesus' day. That is the synagogue Jesus preached in. Just between 30 A.D. and sometime in the 300s, this synagogue wore down. They just pulled off all the lime, or all the basalt stones and they built it with a nicer white limestone on top of it. So it's, it's, just a, it's, a, it's the same synagogue, it's just remodeled with new stones. Same foundation. And you can see outside here, you can see the basalt stones, and the basalt, you can see the, the pavement out here again, the basalt stones. And we're still going to go through this, this right here. Now we're going to be on the, uh, I think, we're, yeah, we're on, the, we're on the east side now. And this is the basalt stones right here of the original foundation. And here is the floor the basalt stone floor of 30 A.D. So this floor and this foundation, this wall, was there in Jesus' day. And then you've got them building in 300 A.D. on top of that. And that is in Capernaum. There it is again. 
looking at the basalt stones. And so it's, it's very clear. You can see a very clear distinction. There's no, there's no debate about that. And again, if it was a synagogue, they would have built a synagogue on top of the synagogue. Uh, here it is again. And now you can see the basalt stone foundation, the floor. But right here, between these lines, that's the floor of 300 right here. This is the floor on inside, and then this is the wall going up. So this is the floor, this is the foundation, this is the floor on the outside. Just another picture of the same thing. And now you're inside the synagogue looking kind of to, you're looking to the front, looking kind of towards the west. And this is where people would be, see there's some benches over there, some pillars. And that is some of the work on one of the pillars. And there's, you see a little menorah right there, carved in there. And notice, interesting, just so you take a note of this, a tripod. See, there's three legs on it, just a tripod, which is, make a mental note of that. But there's your, your seven lampstands with a tripod. That's what they carved in their, that's what they saw, what they understood for their menorah. And there's other things we could see in there also. Now, this is, this is the truth. If I'm looking, if I'm standing there looking into, not here, I'm looking into the synagogue right here where Jesus preached, and I turn around like this and look south towards the Sea of Galilee, I see this. This is a modern building over a series of other ancient buildings honoring a holy site right here. This is the house of Peter. This is Peter's house. See, I don't look like Peter's house. It looks like something from the Jetsons or whatever. Right, and I understand. But right inside there, right inside here, we're going, see, these are all basalt stones. See the black basalt stones. These are all houses buildings and there's streets and walkways here peter's house is right here they went immediately to peter's house and i can show you this again capernaum peter's house as viewed from the synagogue in capernaum sea of galilee in the background see this right little blue spot right there that is the sea of galilee right there so when you're standing in the if you look south from the from the synagogue you can look right, if you, of course, in those days, these buildings would be up higher, probably when you'll see it. But there's the Sea of Galilee right there. That's how close it is. So they were on the Sea of Galilee calling Peter and James, Andrew, John, and they went into Peter's house. On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue. This is all taking place right here. Now, you, you should ask, how do you know that's Peter's house? Well, his address. It's like his name's right on the mailbox. No, uh, we don't know that. Now, I can show you why. Now, now I've gone over to Peter's house, and I've looked back at the synagogue. I'm, my back is to the Sea of Galilee, and I'm looking at the synagogue. And there you can see the white limestone of the synagogue. And there's the basalt stones of that, that was naturally around the area. These were probably shipped in, obviously, because everything in the city, including the, the millwork, the, the industrial machines they made, were made of basalt stones, as was the original synagogue. At some point, they came into some money. Someone donated something, some rich rabbi, some rich leader, uh, help finance the rebuilding and they brought in white limestone which is very nice compared to uh the basalt stones all right so again we're in peter's house that's how close they are you see how close they are you can look in from the synagogue see peter's house now we're standing here now i'm standing on the side you can see peter's house over here and you can see the synagogue there these are two pictures slid together but how close is see this stone and this stone they're the same. There's a little seam right here where I put the picture. I left these stones like that so you kind of get a p picture of how, how it wasn't like I took a picture here and then turned around and took a picture here. I took this picture and I took this picture 
and there's the seam, and that's how close this would be other residences and stuff going on there between Peter's house and the synagogue. Again, I'm, I'm overdoing this, but it's, it's, I don't know, I've got the pictures. I mean, I got, who am I going to show the pictures to? <laughs> okay, now we're standing kind of in Peter's front yard, and there's a Sea of Galilee. So if here at Peter's house would be here. Now we're, the synagogue would be over there. Peter's house would be, and we're kind of out here in Peter's front yard. And there's the Sea of Galilee. And this is where Jesus would have walked. And this is where James and John, Peter and Andrew were probably down there on the coast. Now, this is Peter's house. This is underneath that big Jetson-type building. Uh, and you can, you can walk on that and you can look down through the glass floor and look into this. And the reason, the reason they know this is Peter's house, it's, it goes like this, is... They would have like, you know, like uh, the Dome of the Rock is an octagon. It, it's got the sides, it, it, octagon, right? And then they would take holy sites, the Christians in the first, second, third century, well, it would go Byzantine time period, 300s, 400s, they'd build an, uh, an octagon around. It's a hexagon or octagon. I can't remember what it is. Is it eight sides, the Dome of the Rock? This is something I should know. Because they would build a holy sites, the, the, the business would build that shape around holy sites. Well, what you've got right here is the Byzantine building right here, honoring what's inside here. But the Byzantines are honoring a site in Capernaum that already has something built around it from the late first, from the first century into the second century. They're already honoring this room right here so this is most likely built around this was not peter's house what's that hexagon okay thank you because and hex is six okay so you can there, there's one two you see the the hexagon being formed there the byzantines would do that but before the byzantines built there they're already honoring a site that was already honored by the Christians. There's all Christians graffiti in there. It wasn't just like, well, what is this? It's a Christian holy site from the first century. They would continue to meet there, and so they built something around it to kind of honor it. Well, when the Byzantines came in and constantly Christianized the empire, he builds a hexagon around it because this is a holy. Now, again, he just built, there's a building. This is just the remains of the building. So there was a building around this building, which was around a room that was honored in the first century. And so now we got the Jetson thing, the building, on top of all of that. In the, in the 20th century, they built this other massive thing over the top, looking down at the Byzantines, which is looking at the first century, which is looking at something that was active in Jesus' day, which leads you to think, because of Mark chapter 1 and other writings of the Bible, that's where Jesus stayed. That's Peter's house. That's where these things take place. And especially when you stand there and you just look this way, there's the synagogue. So there's every indication. Uh, you can argue about that if you want to. But really, if you're going to go to archaeology, you're going to follow church history and all that can trace it back, what else is there? What, what, what is that? There's no, other, there's no other place in town. There's all kinds of ruins in town. But this goes back, and the Christians were honoring this room in the first century. And so you would think the church continued to meet there where they started meeting in Peter's day, which is pretty cool. I mean, we're looking at a site that, well, Jesus was there. 
again, inside that original room there. And this is, this is something built around it. Um, I'll go back and get my pictures. There, now you're getting closer. If you'd walk in there, now you can start seeing what was the walls and stuff of Peter's house in there. This was built around to honor it, to protect it, but this was the original room where Peter's mother-in-law, or one of the rooms where Peter's mother-in-law was, where James and John and Peter were, where Jesus stayed, and he, it, Jesus stayed there. Jesus stayed in a house in Capernaum. He either stayed with Peter, and this is questionable, he either stayed with Peter or he had his own place. And again, I, I could go either way. I mean, I, th- I think he had his own place because Peter's already crowded, you know. But, and there it is again. There's my hat hanging in the front yard on Peter's gate right there. <laughs> so that's my hat right there. Just, so that's, again, you can see the building coming out here. And here's a gate outside of the Byzantine wall, outside the first century wall, outside of Peter's house. And then you can see other things going around there. And up on top, you can see that's the, the new modern building. And then here, I step out in the front yard again, and there's the basalt stones. You can see the remains, just, you know, houses, roads. And then you look down there, and there's the Sea of Galilee, right down there, the Sea of Galilee. In fact, you can see across Bethsaida, where Peter was from, would be right over in this general area right here. That's how, how close it was right there. And now you're on the Sea of Galilee, and you're, you're sailing north up to Capernaum, and that's Peter's house. That's the, the modern church sitting overlooking down again. Like they look at, and then back behind there would be the, the, the synagogue. So Sea of Galilee, there's the coast where they're mending their nets, where they were fishing, you know, somewhere along here. And that's where Peter's house. And went immediately to the house, they went to the synagogue. So that whole Mark chapter 1 is taking place right there. I mean, and that's pretty there's not much speculation there because you've got a synagogue that's been a synagogue for years you've got a house that's been honored from the first century you've got the sea of galilee you've got the coast you've got the whole deal happening right there so that's kind of fun that's when you go to israel the first time i went to israel i was like okay i'll go to israel and see a bunch of religious stuff you know i don't know say i've been there and then you start going to the archaeological sites not just this one but many are where they're excavating scientifically and they're bringing stuff up it's like holy smokes there's no religious sites here this is a scientific uh excavation and this has got history going all the way back to the and also it's like i didn't i didn't know this kind of stuff existed so i went back in 2010 and wrote jerusalem book went back in 2012 took some people say look at this stuff and now here i am showing you pictures of my vacation so next week we'll look at some other uh okay i i can i i'll quit thank you for being here father we thank you for your word we thank you for your truth we thank you for the authenticity that you have in the written word the authenticity of your spirit being active in our lives but also the authenticity of of very reality if it be creation if it be science research or if it be archaeology that helps us confirm our faith and have greater boldness we do thank you for these things we look forward to the day that jesus christ does return and finishes his setting up of the kingdom in this earth father we do thank you again for the chance to be christians at this time in history and ask that we would honor you with our lives and with the work that we do in jesus name we pray amen thank you for your time and thank you for looking at my pictures